And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back. Hello, darkness, my old friend. It's 5.30 and it's completely dark. Uh, <laughs> which you know it's coming but it still fucks with you every year i was leaving work like why is this so depressing right now and it's because it's completely fucking dark uh we just did daylight savings time and as we record on monday i am staring into my ring light going blind but i am here <laughs> uh damon carter aka dim one i am joined by the man the myth the legend mr nate leblanc how's it going Yo, what's up, man? Um, yeah, just adjusting to the weird time thing, but happy to be here. Absolutely. And we have a special guest joining us today. We have writer, label head, all around hip hop head, has a new book out called From the Streets of Shaolin, the Wu-Tang Saga. We want to welcome to the program, live from Be More, it's Skiz Fernando. What's happening, man? Yeah, what's up, guys? Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Um, spent a lot of the weekend and um, a lot of the afternoon today uh, getting into the book. It's a lot. It's a lot going on, and we will uh, try to get into a lot of it. But kind of want to take it back. Um, you ran Word Sound Recordings, um, which, among other notable achievements, you put out the first edition of Prince Paul's Psychoanalysis record, a huge record. Um, for Dave and I and just um, just a ton of left field hip hop music. Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of your ethos with the label and what you were looking to uh, put out into the world with Word Sound? Sure. Um, you know, Word Sound was like my passion project back in the day. Um, you know, while I was doing it, I was actually, you know, writing at the same time. I actually published my I had just published my first book the new beats exploring the music culture and attitudes of hip-hop and I could have I could have just pursued the writing path you know but I, at the same time we put out the first word sound release and it's to me putting out records was more like immediate gratification you know it's like music is just like you know bam it's right there you listen to it you know and it's immediate and there was a lot of interesting projects coming across my desk as far as you know hip hop and otherwise paul was one of those quirky characters who i just kept in touch with and i, I you know i told him when i interviewed him I, i'm going to start a label I, I i'd love you for you to do a record and he actually made good on that and you know what he gave me was psychoanalysis what is it and probably one of the craziest left field records that came out during the time. I think it came out in like 96, if I'm not mistaken. I remember um, when we were talking about the record, he was like, you know, what do you want me to do? And I was like, don't ask me, man, you're the artist. You're the, you're the creative guy. Do, do whatever the fuck you want, you know? And right. um, aside from, you know, aside from that record, you know, I produce stuff myself as Spectre, the Ill Saint mostly instrumental hip hop, which was, which wasn't really a big thing back then. You know, now it's, it's, it's definitely come up a lot. We had Sensational, who was a former 
member of the Jungle Brothers. He used to be he used to be known as Torture. He put out like seven, eight albums of words. Now we had the we had Mr. Dead, who was a former makeup artist, who put out a couple of records. So there was a lot of hip hop on words that subterranean hits compilations so there's a lot of hip-hop on words now but we put out all types of weird music too and the ethos was basically like i was just putting out everything that you wouldn't normally hear on in other venues like even you know even at that time in the 90s there was a healthy underground scene and a healthy independent label scene but i was putting out stuff that no one else was putting out so that was kind of our claim to claim to fame I, I like to call us the punk rock of hip hop because it was just like pretty much anything goes, you know? And Excuse were you the guy behind the Black Spade records as well? Those 10 inches that came in the yeah, plastic bags? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's actually called Black Hoods. Black Hoods, sorry. But, but, but I know you, you, you're, you're saying spades because the, the logo was a black spade. And... Um, the science behind that was because, you know, the Black Spades back in the day in the early 70s was one of the big street gangs in New York. And Africa Bambada was a warlord for the Black Spades. So the Black Hood's logo was a guy with a hoodie and a, the hood was like a spade. That was a vinyl only label. And, we, and as, you, as, you, as you said, we did a series of 10 inches packaged in a plastic baggie, which I call the dime bag series. And that was, that went over really well. We'd only do like a thousand or two copies of those. So those are pretty, you know, pretty um, valuable right now if you have them. And I've seen them going for a lot on, on Discogs. So you, you were running Word Sounds, you, you did Cycle Analysis, which is a, you know, one of a kind hip hop record. Um, and then, is this book, uh, the Wu-Tang book, your second book? Yeah, because the, okay. the New Beats came out in 94. That was around the time that I started Word Sound. And Word Sound was going heavily till about 2002. Okay. And that's kind of like when the whole downloading thing hit, mm -hmm. you know, with Napster. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, instead of getting checks from my distributor, I was getting like massive returns of cds oh, so then i knew like you, you know that was like my first inkling that something was was drastically wrong that the know? tide had shifted exactly. uh in hip-hop in in a in a real the music way. in the whole music, music industry yeah For you sure. know i mean like that's when the all the majors went down too but um but they found a way back didn't they <laughs> somehow they did yeah. yes <laughs> didn't they um so your 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 new book um from the streets of shaolin wu-tang saga all about wu-tang it we talk about this on the on the podcast quite a bit do you feel like wu-tang clan has entered um that rarefied space that only like classic rock groups have have inhabited before where Kids are wearing the Wu-Tang logo, getting it from Target that maybe don't even know about Wu-Tang. There's documentaries, TV series. Like, I, I'm not sure if that was the case when you started this, but can you just kind of assess where you think Wu-Tang Clan sits in kind of the, the national consciousness nowadays? For sure. I mean, I think that they're, yeah, they're definitely beyond rap now. You know, they're not, they're, I mean, you could call them rap royalty, but they've d definitely transcended hip hop. 
um, they're they're like a entity on, unto themselves. You know, it's like a it's like a, they're like cultural icons in the in the game. You know, it's like and it's you know it's it's hard to imagine like in America. You know, in America we might have one view of Wu Tang, but you go everywhere I travel. I see, I always see like several logos. I always see like a New York Yankees cap wherever I go. I always see like Bob Marley photos wherever I go. And I always see the Wu-Tang logo wherever I go in the world. And I'm talking, you know, like the last place I saw it was Myanmar. So <laughs> the Wu-Tang has definitely transcended yeah. hip hop. They've transcended music. And you know, all for all for good reason, you know, because um, they had one of the longest runs in 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 hip hop as far as you know in the '90s. I would say like from '93 to '97, that first round, the first two Wu Tang albums, and the first round of solo albums. Right. You know, that was that was a special time to be around you know and i was a writer back then i was also you know running the label and stuff but as a writer and someone following hip-hop it was like it was like almost like boxing like you follow a boxer you mm. know and it's like man will this guy is this guy ever gonna lose, lose. i mean yeah. can, you know it's like so that's what it was like you know following wu-tang in the 90s it was like can this group ever lose because like you know, between 94 and 95 alone, we had Method Man drop solo, ODB a few months later, a few months later, Raekwon, a couple months after that, Jizza. So it was like, damn, these guys, and all of those were just like 100% rock solid albums. And they all right. sounded different from the preceding one. And it was amazing to think that the same guy, the RZA, was producing all these albums because they all sounded so different, even though there was something that held them together, you know. So, yeah, definitely, I think Wu-Tang, you know, they, they proved their metal in the game and they never, they never sold out. They never compromised, you know. So that's why they're still respected. And mm -hmm. now, now they're just kind of, reaping the fruits of all that you know of all that um of the prolific output and also their longevity in the game you know uh so your, for your sure they've is, transcended uh pretty interesting in the behind the scenes kind of looks at a certain point it goes into the albums and recording processes and those mm -hmm. first those first round can you describe for people who weren't around at that time or don't think about journalism or hip-hop journalism the kind of access that you had like what gave you in particular insight into what these guys were doing on a kind of nightly basis during the recording of the solo albums were you on assignment or would you just kind of show up because you knew the guys like I'm, I'm trying to understand like how you how you got this insight okay well you know during that time um i was freelancing for a lot of for a lot of magazines back then mainly the source and vibe which were you know hip-hop publications i would also write for rolling stone and occasionally spin and a couple you know various other back then there was tons of magazines mm -hmm. you know tons of places to write for and i think once you establish a a rapport with a group like before wu-tang i was hanging around the hit squad a lot 
EPMD, DOS FX, Redman, and I actually went on tour with them. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, it was, I went on that Hit Squad tour in 92. It was dope. And, you know, it's kind of funny because the, they were like the, they were like the kings of New York before Wu-Tang came in. And Wu-Tang, even in my book, they talk about how they were kind of gunning for the EPMD and the hit squad because those guys were kind of running shit back then on the hardcore front. But um, I think once you, you know, I, I talk about it in the book, I, 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 wrote, I actually wrote the bio or the, the press release for Protect Your Neck when that wow. came out. So I was, I was wow. in there early. And I don't know how loud got my name or whatever. I guess, you know, I guess there were not that many writers writing about hip hop, but they would approach the, they would approach like all the people who had bylines and the source and stuff to do bios and stuff for their groups and stuff like that, all these labels. So any people, any people who are writing back then had kind of like a double identity. We were writing about the artists and then we would also do work for the labels as far as, you know, uncredited work, writing bios and press releases. So, um, you know, I interviewed RZA early on, pretty much right after he got the deal with Loud. Whoops, sorry about that. And um, that was for um, Protect Your Neck. And then, you know, you kind of get a reputation of, oh, Skiznos. Rizzo, let's send him to do the story. So like all these other magazines would be calling me, oh, we, we want to do a Woos Tank story. Can you do it? We want to do a Method Man story. Can you do it? So I, I turned out to be the Wu-Tang guy that everyone went to. <laughs> That's dope. And I think another thing was also back in the day, Wu-Tang was pretty scary, let me tell you. They had a reputation of being pretty tough. They beat up a couple of journalists. And I think a lot of journalists, quite frankly, did not want to be hanging out with these guys. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got along fine with, especially Riza and Jizza, who were the two elder statesmen. And once you have their respect, you know, like you can pretty much move freely with amongst the clan. Was there and, anything that, that gave you like, Cause you're hanging out right and other folks mm -hmm. are like maybe afraid to hang out is there any time that it, you were with them and they gave you pause like were they actually scary like that or is that like a perception that people had it was yeah i mean back in the day it was it was scary you know there was like sometimes when and it, and it wasn't and it, it's not necessarily the, the the nine members of the clan but they always had like they were like mob deep man like you go to a <laughs> session there's like it's like 50 people in there. It's like, who are all these people? And it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, think that each member of the clan has his own crew too. Right. Right. So, you know, like I talk about some sessions in the book where like there were exactly like 50 people because people came right. through, brought their crew, right. all that shit, you know, like sometime and, you know, you know, sometimes I'd be around and, you know, the, the, the honey dip blunts would be making circulation, you know, the, right. the dust. And, you know, <laughs> when people start smoking dust, it's some, it's, it's, it's on some next shit, you know, it's like <laughs> people get, people get mad, paranoid and like, you know, people are looking at you funny and it's just like, yeah, I, I got caught up in that. I got yeah. caught up in that. Who's mix that guy writing stuff down? 
I remember, I remember like, you know, one time I got past the blunt and took a couple puffs and passed it. And all of a sudden I was feeling really strange. And I, and I looked at Riza and he said, Oh, you didn't know that was dusted? <laughs> he starts giggling, and his giggling sounds to me like slow motion giggling. <laughs> sounds like oh, that. Oh my god. And I'm like looking around and it, it, I felt like people are looking at me and shit. I was like, I'm going to the store. I didn't even warning. And I just like took off. I don't know how I got home that night. I had to take the subway home. But <clears throat> that's how that's what woo sessions were like. Yeah. Unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. You, know, you don't know who's going to show up. Dudes would show up with like pillowcases full of weed and stuff like <laughs> that. And it's, just, it's crazy. But it, it, it's, but it was always a fun time hanging out in that in that situation because you got to understand too that I, I I love being you know being a producer myself. I love being in the studio, and I yeah. always, always learned a lot just like being around RZA and stuff like that. And sometimes when I I would if I interviewed him, you know, you talking about was I assigned to do it or not? Like for example, like Rolling Stone would assign me a review of a Jizza album, for example. And I would use that as an excuse to, to just spend several days with them, like in the studio and stuff like that. And it, it was cool with them because I'm writing, you know, I'm doing for doing it for Rolling Stone. So they, they don't care if I'm around. I'm, I'm basically right. just a fly on the wall. So I would spend the whole day with RZA, you know, just like start off at the label. Then we, he loved to like walk around town. He loved to be recognized on the street and he loved to go and play chess in the park and stuff like that. And then we would go to Sam Ash and then he would show me some stuff on the keyboards that he was working out. And it was just, it was just very fun to hang around them. And plus more, more than your average rapper, these guys are very intelligent. These guys are, you know, they're from the street. They have absolutely no education. They're all like high school dropouts and shit, but they are like on top of their game as far as, shit you know i don't know how they know half the shit that they know but they they study some weird stuff and i think you know i think the five percent background has a lot to do with that you know yeah Yeah. um Um, they're all you know they're all five percenters and stuff like that so it was incredibly entertaining hanging out with them and fun and um yeah so that's how that's how i nice i appreciate that um, I have a question. One of the more compelling sections of the book details the recording process and the kind of, I'm going to use the term, like the herding of cats that had to happen to get Wu-Tang mm-hmm. Forever recorded once some of the members had already had some solo success. I'm wondering, did you make it out to LA or were you relying on their kind of remembrances of that time in LA when they went and stayed in those apartments where Sly Stone lived and were uh, yeah. recording in North Hollywood Oak and Wood. had the two engineers taking the reels back and forth to their rooms. Like that's, that's all crazy stuff. Were you there? I was there for that. Yeah. Wow. That's I was there nuts, for that. Man. Can and you just I, give us a little insight of what that felt I, like? I arrived the day that the day, the morning after Biggie Smalls was shot. Oh, wow. So it was it was kind of surreal to be there 
because, um, you know, a lot of people from New York had gone out there for the vibe party. And after that vibe party, Biggie was shot. And then all the people from New York were leaving LA in mass because they thought that there was like some bi-coastal shit going on. And they thought people from New York wouldn't be safe out there. But Wu-Tang stayed put. And I was around them. It was, it was a little weird being around them. I was in the room. It was just me and the group. And no one was talking about Biggie Small. No one was talking about the shooting. It was very kind of surreal. Um, and then maybe they did talk about it because RZA did kick me out after a while because he wanted to have a private group meeting. But I was in his room it was just me and him at first and he was, you know, he was showing me some new beats and stuff. And then like the guys trickled in one by one, but not one person mentioned Biggie or what mm. had happened. They were all there, you know, they had, they were all there. And then, you know, in the studio, it was business as usual. You know, it's like they had that, they had that two, the two rooms going at, um, I think it was, track record studio what it was ray parker jr's studio and um another very actually my man scotty tidbit. hard yeah. <laughs> yeah my man scotty hard was one of the engineers and then carlos best was the other engineer i'm a friend of his too so it was like it was um you know it was all it was all work because they knew that they had to finish this album and stuff like that and um but it was pretty wild because, you know, I know for a fact that everyone from New York was leaving L.A. like right after that. And they they didn't even talk about leaving. They, they, they stayed. They did what they had to do. And, um, yeah, a lot of this, a lot of that stuff where you're getting that inside view is is because I was in the studio there you're on you the know? ground. So a lot of those times and also like the Jizza mastering session, I was there when they watched the whole Shogun Assassin movie and put these skits in. And that's where I was involved in a skit as well. So um, I was definitely on the scene for a lot of stuff. And I was, I've been around them for such random stuff. Like one time I went out to LA for the American Music Awards because um, Deck and You God were performing with Blondie and Mob Deep. So vibe sent me out there. And that was crazy backstage. <laughs> like I ended up like with Britney Spears and and New Edition and stuff like that, chilling out backstage with these. <laughs> I didn't even know who these people were. I was like, and and I remember one time in New York, Rizza did a session with Bjork, which I don't write about in the book, but that was crazy too like see her singing over his beats yeah but she 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 did she wasn't recording at the time she was just there but rizza oh. was recording the new york philharmonic string section and he was he was he was trying to translate some of his keyboard lines into live strings and to mm. see him like directing the string section it was crazy and then bjork was in there too it was like I, you know, I've been I've been around in the studio with them um, for a lot of stuff. So I've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, the level of yeah. access is just it, 
it, it's crazy to think about now. Like one that you could like fly back and forth and a magazine would pay for it is even more. Yeah, exactly. Someone who <laughs> writes for a couple of websites himself. It's like, whoa. But yeah, man, it's just cool to hear the 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 live in person feel like there's a there's a part in the Wu Tang Forever chapter where you describe like the looks on their faces. And it's like, I knew you had to have been there because you're not gonna rely on a third party oh, source yeah. for that. Oh, so yeah. it's just that's that's like a really cool thing about the book. Absolutely. And now I understand Thanks. the origins of the talk strange like Bjork line. Um, <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so from the streets of Shaolin, a Wu-Tang saga, obviously you were on the ground. This is coming from you being right there um, with the group. What made you want to write it now? Um is it is it kind of the cresting of of this wave like when did you decide to write it and why did you like why did you have to write this book well you know i had originally wanted to write this around like around 2010 but um i approached rizza then and he was writing his own book then so he didn't mm -hmm. want to he didn't want to um you know you know rightfully so he didn't want to uh participate in my book and then my man Sasha Jenkins did his movie of Mike's and Men, which I really enjoyed. And I was yes. pissed off at my man for not including <laughs> me in the research and development of that thing because I wanted to be involved in that in that project because it was a I thought it was a really good project. But as good as it was, it didn't really tell the full story of the world, mm. you know. And I think at that time. After I saw that, I was like, we really need a book on, on Wu-Tang because you can't really, even with the four-hour documentary, you can't really, you know, tell their whole story. So I think the book format is the best thing for that, you know, because you can go really deep. And I, I did go deep in this. And, and what I, you know, what I brought to the table, which is different, is the, is the context, you know putting everything into context, because you can't understand Wu-Tang until you know about the 5% nation of Islam. You can't understand Wu-Tang until you understand about, you know, martial arts movies and the impact that they had, especially in the 70s, especially in the black community in New York. Um, so there, there's certain things, and you can't understand Wu-Tang unless you know about New York. You know, New York is a minor character in the book. You know, New York is always, New York, you know, New York is the is is the birthplace of hip hop. You know, hip hop wouldn't have, couldn't have started anywhere else but New York. And Wu Tang is so tied to the birth of hip hop, and to me, they they represent like a renaissance of of hip hop. You know, twenty years after the birth of hip hop, so um, all of that had to figure into the book, and and. I thought it was the right time because now, you know, we're almost, you know, in two years, it's going to be the 30th anniversary of Enter the 36 Chambers, Enter the Wu-Tang. Wow, 30 years. <laughs> so now, you know, now dudes are not afraid to, to speak their minds about things. You know, it's like the statute of limitations is over so they can talk about their drug era. They can uh, talk okay. about all their okay. involvement in the streets. If you, if you, if you read you God's book, he basically lays it out, you know, life of a crack dealer in the nineties, you know, that was, 
incredibly interesting reading. I don't know if you guys checked out. No, Rose. I haven't. I haven't. You got to check that out. And of course, Riz's books, you know, and, you know, Raekwon is coming out with his book next month from Staircase to Stage. I, I had the, I had a, I had the um, privilege of reading that, um, you know, advanced copy to, to give them a blurb. And that's, that's going to be, that's an amazing book too, talking about his activity pre-Wu-Tang in the street. To me, that's, that's what's really interesting is like how these guys who pretty much like garden variety crack dealers, you know, how, what made them so special that they formed like Voltron and mm -hmm. had this impact. And like, now we're talking about them 30 years later, you know, and it's all about the way they came up in that era. Uh, and, and also it's all about RZA too, and his vision, you know, and how he was able to communicate that vision to his friends, to his people, people that he grew up with. And, mm -hmm. and so I think their whole story is just so um, compelling that it had to be told, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny to see like the Hulu, you know, the Wu-Tang and American saga, because that's mm -hmm. so fictionalized, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. why did they have to fictionalize so much of it? Because their real story is so compelling. So interesting you know? already. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to change a thing. So right. that's why I wanted to write this book, you know, and I wanted to write it like a narrative. I don't want, I didn't want to, I wanted to write it like a story, you know, like, um, I think that's what I did, you know, even though there's, there's a lot, you know, I go off on tangents sometimes, but like I said, context is important, you know, you got to under, you got to know about the five percenters and what they stand for and what they mean, because they have had a huge influence on hip hop in general, you know, right. half the lingo that we take for granted mm -hmm. in hip hop comes from, from 5% lingo, you know, right. all of right. the Wu-Tang are, are, were dedicated 5%ers back in the day. But, you know, the 5% had a huge history in New York in the 70s and 80s. And that's like the same time that hip hop was blooming. So they, they right. kind of grew side by side. So that's why I thought this, it was time to do this book now. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a book that will always be around as a reference, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's it's like a it's not it's not it's not one of these things that has to be timely. It's just going to be there, you know. It's got it's just going to be there, and it's going to evergreen. You want another story? This is it, you know. Yeah, right on, man. Absolutely, uh, Skiz. We we appreciate you coming on the program, man. Been a, been a long time coming. I know we've been trying to arrange this for a while. So we, we appreciate you coming on uh, from the streets of Shaolin, a Wu-Tang saga is out now. You guys should cop that. Um, and yeah, we just want to, you know, thank you for coming on and bringing the story of the Wu to the masses, man. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>
All right. That was our conversation with Skiz Fernando. Want to thank him for coming on the program, talking some Wu-Tang, which I could do forever uh, and ever and ever and ever. Wu-Tang um, forever. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Nate, what what was your, uh, I heard him talk a little bit about having that level of access. And I thought you asked a great question about that. Um, I didn't read the book. I'm not going to lie. didn't do the homework. Um, did his stories kind of match up to the energy and vibe of, of what you read in the book? Yeah, there, there was some stuff you could only know by being in the room, some facial expressions and some, some tone, which is, mm. I think uh, it's, it's hard unless you're, a skilled kind of journalist of, or, or used to being in private spaces like that to capture that. And so there's just not a ton of journalism like that in hip hop. Like Mm -hmm. I know the, the classic Jeff Weiss profile model is to go do something with the artist. So you can observe them slightly out of their surroundings and catch up on things. Like he went golfing with schoolboy Q and um, went with uh, Rucci to smoke, bong hits in a parking lot and he's done a couple of interesting ones that i think have he writes a really good profile and um edited me in a couple of profiles that i wrote for him and it's it's so it's hard to get people to agree to do that and go find something that will work and then draw the thing what skiz was doing was almost more like being embedded yes it's like you're being invited into the inner sanctum and this is for all of their various public personas and accessibility as artists because they're so brash and outlandish there is some mystery especially at that time about the woo and so Mm -hmm. for him to be kind of peeling back the curtain i think that's interesting inherently absolutely dave i I know you weren't able to be present uh skiz told us about um smoking angel dust blunts uh with the woo who have you smoked angel dust blunts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who has any yeah <laughs> there's this guy at the bus stop that, uh, no, I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> um i haven't the nonce? no <laughs> <laughs> um i haven't unfortunately i mean i haven't even smoked weed with any of the people i've interviewed but um i've been able to talk to a few uh woo, woo members uh raekwon jizza um ghostface and maybe a couple others and i can't even remember but um Skiz's book, though, uh, super well researched. Um, like you, Damone, I didn't do all of my homework. I definitely flipped through it. Um, he uh, cited my Jizza interview, so I was very glad to see nice. that. Um, nice. And it seemed it just seemed like a very well researched book. Um, and like you said, I mean, you can never get enough woo. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Absolutely, uh, definitely. From the streets of Shaolin, a Wu Tang saga is out in the book universe right now. Um, have either of you guys tapped in with the the fictional program whose name I can't even remember right now? Yeah, it looks terrible. I, I actually was uh, texting with an old friend about this this weekend. Um, I've watched about half of the first season. I'll probably wow. watch the whole thing at some point. It's one of those shows my wife does not want to watch, so it's kind of hard for me to find time for. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I... My basic take on it is that it is not written for super rap nerds. It is written for normal people. As if you write a TV show, you have to write it for normal people. It can't be for people like us. So it's just not really for us. And that's fine. And I, I just, I'm sitting there the whole time doing this kind of referendum on from what I heard happened to what they Mm -hmm. are saying Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And that's no fun. 
Um, I'd much rather watch a show about something I know nothing about. You know what I totally, mean? Like totally. Mad Men. You know, it's like I, right, I have no right. sense of what a '60s ad office was like. So whatever they tell me, it's like, is everyone really that hot? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and just like uh, one final thing on that tip, the kid they got to play ODB is fucking amazing. He's okay, so cool. good in it. He's he's got the energy and the look and feel. And the kid who they got to play RZA, who's a really good actor, who was amazing in Moonlight, sucks. Oh and wow! He, he just. He, you know how Riza talks? Yeah, yeah. Me too. That's right, that's Not him. Yeah. <laughs> Bong. Yeah. yeah. I heard, I've heard that in the second season, they kind of coached him. They got like a dialect coach, or maybe they just let him hang out with Riza. Yeah, like he just can't smoke right. dust blunts with Riza. Yeah. Like that. Sword. Sword. <laughs> um, they, Talk strange they, like apparently York. they get, they get him doing Riza better but i don't know that you want to impersonate right it's right, it's really right. tough with people with such iconic voices and voice registers it's kind of like uh when denzel was playing malcolm x he didn't actually do malcolm x right, right. like he did his his version of it because it's so iconic that trying to do it seems like a character uh, the kind of recent update of that would be um the young man who played uh fred hampton Yes. In Messiah, yes. Black Messiah. Yep. What is that yep. dude's name? Daniel. Uh, uh, Daniel oh, is... K something. Yep. yep. Danny the, K. The, 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 um, British, the British gentleman, which I, I thought was uh, very interesting in the well, sense well, of like. It, it, watching that, which I thought it. was a pretty good movie. Sure. It, I made me go back and watch some Fred Hampton clips. And I was like, Fred Hampton has a very interesting rhythm of speech. That is not what he was doing. So it's no. like. Do, doing something distinctive that's not the actual thing the guy is doing is actually not a bad way to go about it. If you're so. an excellent actor and if the Brits would let some of the American black actors have roles, that would be amazing. <laughs> Daniel uh, Kaluuya. I just Daniel Kaluuya. Yes. yes. Who is, who is a, a very good actor. Yes. Um, and I've, I've read a, th- a couple of different things about this because it seems like every actor is British. Like they do dramatic training from when people are children. Yep. Yep. Here you either have to be just like stunningly good looking or naturally gifted. There they train people on how to actually, actually physically act yep. and speak for the stage and screen. So Yep. We could wow. do that if we a wanted. country that values the wow. arts. Yeah. But we'll kick your ass in basketball. <laughs> uh, so we want to thank Skiz Fernando for coming on, uh, talking about his book, joining us at the round table. Um, but we have more. That's right. We have more guests so on this episode. Um, and you know, we want to thank you guys for for rocking with us. Uh, I want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon. We are uh an American saga ourselves with our Patreon. Uh, where you can get fly exclusive content like Nate's uh, radio show, The Fly Sporadic, which uh, rave reviews, Nate, for The Fly Sporadic, I must Let's say. Let's get dramatic. Yes, nice. absolutely. <laughs> um, which was a radio show uh, exclusively for our, our Patreon subscribers. So at this time, there are 35 people who are fucking rabid about this shit, but you guys should tap into if you haven't already. $5 a month. Check us out, patreon.com slash dad bod rap pod. And you know what else, Nate? What with else, all that, With all that Patreon money, what, what's something that we could do with that to kind of like double our money? What I like to do when I get an unexpected sum of money is place large, irresponsible bets without mm. talking to my wife. That has worked very well in my life, and I think it will work for you. Um, 
From all the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while with MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using my exclusive promo code DADBOD at MyBookie. You know what, guys? There are tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week. Yeah. But let me point you in the right direction for your first wager. Nate, now this is where I got to stop you. Because I know that this Sunday, two powerhouse offenses meet with the Kansas City Chiefs, take on the Dallas Cowboys, who unfortunately are referred to as Dem Boys. Um, <laughs> and as, the, as a, as a boys, life, technically. Yeah, as a lifelong 49er <laughs> fan, that's hurtful to me, but I'm going to proceed. Uh, they've been on a tear this season while the Chiefs continue to struggle. Uh, and so take the Cowboys to cover the spread so you can walk away with the bread oh, at boy. my bookie. Busting those rhymes, Damone. You know what I'm saying? I, I do it. The flavors for the wagers. Uh, <laughs> don't wait any longer. Head to my bookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get in the game and start winning big today. That's promo code DadBod to receive double your first deposit instantly. In your account, no hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Uh, this is the part where I say the geniuses at my bookie are calling that bet. I haven't watched a full NFL game in like three years. So <laughs> if if the boys don't cover, uh, please do not come for me because I am not a deck Prescott fan. All right. <laughs> with that being said, uh, as promised, we have more interviews. Uh, right around the corner we had the chance to talk to a really dope producer who um you know i i think maybe as a, as a tad bit under discussed when we're talking about producers um especially in the in the underground realm uh he, he goes by the name of tall black guy he is actually six five so i agree with the moniker uh and he gave us a a, a great conversation about uh his kind of origin story and the stuff he's been working on of late so let's Switch to it right now. Here's our interview with tall black guy, dad bod, rap pod. Dad bod rap pod every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture this week is no different joining us in zoom we have producer tall black guy what's going on man hey man just trying to trying to maintain still in the madness i can't believe we're saying this a whole year and some change later though you know what i mean oh man right. yeah it's 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 been a wild year but you've uh You've been busy. You got a project coming out uh, called of process and progression with yes, uh, rapper Jose Moore, who we just talked to a little bit ago. Cool. Um, wanted to kind of go back a little bit, though, and talk about uh, your the arc of your career. You're from Detroit, Michigan, correct? Yeah, yeah. From Detroit, um, kind of did some groundwork in Chicago and then just moved around a whole a whole bunch of different places, you know what I mean? But those are like my stomping grounds, like the Midwest, Detroit, Chicago, you know? How, what, how does, uh, let's say Detroit and Chicago, how does that play into those locations, play into the the kind of soundscapes that that you create? Um, 
truth, truth, truthfully, man, like I, I and I've tried to analyze this for myself, you know what I mean? Like I never really had like a pinpointed sound to say, I want to sound like both of these cities. It was just like one thing. I just wanted to make music, but I happened to be from some iconic places that, you know, historically and musically, like they're like the Mecca of which all kind of, you know, artists and musicians kind of, want to sound like or just want to be a part of whatever you know whatnot so um but me personally like I never really had like I want to sound like this and this because I was still learning at the time myself and then I and then I, and then I end up happening to learn history like a little bit lighter though you know mm. well you mentioned um wanting to be a part of different projects and I know we're going to jump around a little bit in the uh yeah. as we um dissect your career here but um can you tell us a little bit about Giles Peterson and how the whole Brownswood thing came about? Oh man. So, um, geez, we're going back. So I say <laughs> about nine, 10 years ago, um, there was a collective that I was a part of along with some few other folks that I know. Um, it's called the beat in. And it was this English artist, you know, if you're ahead, you know, that Ty, you know, one of the UK's legends, um, he had started this little group. Um, well, basically, right with the with the with the with the premise of the whole thing was that you had you had up and coming cats that was kind of trying to figure it out, and you had some seasoned folks, and it was like this online community where we all kind of just you know vibed out on kind of the same things. Um, but it was also a place for you to get better. So, anyways, he ended up posting this challenge where he wanted you to flip. Um, water get no enemy from from Fela. Mm. so my approach you know at that time was kind of just to change up the little the 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 the, the time or whatever so end up doing the beat fast forward maybe about a year or two giles hit, hits me up you know he was like yo what do you guys in with this track you know and at the time i'm still trying to figure it out you know and um pretty much that was the rest of history he he, he ended up putting it on his like his um his Brownwood Bubblers seven. Mm. And that was kind of the, the start of, you know, where folks were kind of really listening and whatnot. And then um, just never really looked back since. You're very talented, but it does help to start with the greatest song ever made, right? the guy. Yeah, you, absolutely. Uh, um, I'm curious about your gear situation and how it has evolved over time. Can you talk to us about kind of how you started out making beats and what your rig has ended up, uh, you know, looking like in this digital age? Mm, um, it really hasn't really changed. Um, like my my biggest transition was probably like last year. Um, before last year, I had spent about 21 years in one solid doll or at least what i figured was a solid doll and it was, just, it was this program called um acid foundry 2.0 at the time you know and this is around like 99 2000 or something i don't know anyways um messed around with that and it just kind of just grew with that program to the point where you know obviously the program kind of didn't really do any updates but i kept with the same program you know what i mean and i've kind of made a career off of the off of the limitations of what that mm. program was meant for and what I could actually pull out of it. And so that meant, you know, kind of tapping to tapping into a frequency that I didn't know I was kind of tapping into though, you know? And um 
Yeah, and then last year I ended up making the transition to like the whole Ableton Mac, you know, because before that it was all PC. I was a PC guy. Mm. You know, that's kind of my thing, you know, and then ended up going to Macs. And I, now that I think about it, I wish I kind of would have transitioned a little bit earlier, though, you know what I mean? But, you know, it, it, it worked out for a reason, though, you know? That's what's up. Uh, so you mentioned being kind of a product of a Detroit music scene as well as um, Chicago and some other places. When I listen to tracks you produce, um, there's a vibe there. It's a lane. I, I think of it as like hip hop. You could play when actually women come over. Like it's not there's a, a level of, of production um, acumen and, and some R&B influences in there. Is what's kind of your mission statement when you're coming out the box to to do to do these joints? Is that just your sound, or do you kind of consciously go into it uh, trying to construct a certain vibe or a certain lane? I think as I've gotten older and just kind of figure out where my where I kind of lie at into the musical landscape landscape is that you know. I just want to make sure it feel good. You know what I mean? That's that's the main thing. Like it gotta it gotta feel good. You know, it's gotta and, and then on you know on top of that, you know, it's vibes and as of lately, you know, I've kind of tried to tap into the whole, you know, like your your senses. So your 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 vision, your visual, your hearing, you know, your smell, and that's all kind of how I create music. Like I try to have all those different things present when I actually construct the track, you know. Now, before, it was just kind of just making stuff as I, as I kind of was just trying to figure it out. But, like, now it's just a more concise, more down to the point of what I actually want to do, you know. And I can even just do it for myself. If I, ever, if I didn't never make a piece of money or had a career out of this in it ever again, like, the fact that if I'm making myself feel good, I'm good with that too, you know. <laughs> Um, I, I was reading online that, um, your original, your first love was basketball. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, and since we're jumping around a little bit, um, you know, regarding your career arc, I want to know, like, um, when did you start transitioning out of, you know, playing ball? I mean, and can you give us a little background on that? I'm just curious. I mean, ball was always just. Uh, 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 it was, you know, like anything, it was a sport, you know, and I really loved it. My, my pops introduced me to it at like five years old. So, you know, I kind of like grew up with it, but, you know, I didn't really take it seriously when I really think about it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then music was kind of in the background too. You know, I had like older cousins, you know, that were kind of pulling me into this other other thing and then I grew up kind of with hip-hop and my father he, he he was one of those cats that he wasn't too much he was obviously older than me but like he grew up with hip-hop he grew up with the golden age and everything so with that age gap I kind of fell into that place too you know and it was just one of those things like you know after like high school I tried a little I did play a little bit of college ball whatever you know but when I stumbled across this thing, you know, on this music thing, it was just like, man, this is a whole completely different feeling, you know, that I'm getting from the sport. You know, I'm actually applying this, you know, to a, 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 another different type of discipline. And I was around, like, like I said, like around like 99, 2000. I was like, man, this is, this is it right here. 
this is this is what I want to do, you know. And I was trying to figure it out, you know. You sound like everybody else, and but eventually you kind of find your way, though, you know. Absolutely. Um, talk to us a little bit about the new record of process and progression. Got that coming out for we're recording now. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. Like can, uh, we'll uh, yeah. time the episode so that it drops close okay. to release. But um, can you just kind of tell the people what to expect and what your inspirations were going into this? I mean, what's what's crazy is that you know me and Jose, we have cut songs for a while now. You know, maybe maybe about four years, four or five years, give or take up until us actually deciding to that we want to collaborate in the whole project. And I think the thing was, is just kind of continuing what we came together for in the first place. And then again, that was just like the marriage of, you know, this music's here, these awesome lyrics and rhymes and concepts are here. How can we marry those both things together, you know? And then through that process, I think we, we, we kind of grown as friends as well as like collaborators. And I think what it was is just kind of this, this natural progression of our careers and where we're at of, you know, we may not necessarily have what the quote unquote big career or what the masses think, but in our, I don't want to speak for him, but it's kind of be kind of the same thing, but it's just like, you know, we have carved out this lane for ourselves and we're kind of just trying to keep that going and what makes us happy, you know, and it's a process that along the way that you're trying to, you're doing that to get to the end result, you know what I mean? And again, it's just kind of just, this project is basically just, 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 just describing, you know, this different points and I could be rather, be, it could rather, it could be rather, you know, how you started as an artist, What's the things going on? Race, how the hip hop start, stuff like that. The process of when you started and the ending of when it finishes. That was kind of the gist of the whole concept of what we're trying to come up with. Dope, dope. So we'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Although we have heard it already, but the world be on the lookout for that when it comes out on October 22nd. Uh, Wanted to ask you, in addition to this project and the many projects you have, you also do remixes, and I, I always kind of like, oh, you know, if I see Tall Black Guy um, credited as a remixer, I, I always peep for that. Specifically, mm-hmm. a song called Terrorize My Heart by, uh, yeah. by 79.5. I want to yeah. um, ask you about what's, what's your approach when you, when you get uh, somebody reaches out about a remix? Like, do you have, are you trying to outdo the original producer? Or are you trying to create a different vibe? Like, what, how are you coming with it when you're doing a remix? Truth be told, is basically both things that you just said. I'm trying to add a new approach, and the the, the competition of it too is trying to make it better than the original. Like mm. you know, like that's a because you know you might have one different different way, but then and then on too, and I even add another point. It's just like adding value. Like you're adding value to this song and to what this artist and his producer were trying to accomplish and so me as a person that was never in the room with those folks how can i add value to something that's already great and and how can we quote unquote collaborate because i'm collaborating with you because i'm you're giving me some information and how am i digesting it how am i going to interpret it in my own way you know and um that's basically the approach every time you know i mean just trying to add value some things i don't is not necessary for remixing. Like, what could you do to do this, to make this better? 
you know, and then some things like, oh, it sounds kind of cool, you know, and try to see if I can add a different approach with the chords or the drums or maybe change the arrangement of the vocals or something like that, though, you know, but it's just all about, you know, again, a little bit of competition, trying to do it better, trying to add value, you know. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you're Chicago by way of Detroit, and um, but your sound sort of transcends regionalism. I mean, we talked about that. It doesn't necessarily sound like a New York sound or a West Coast sound or anything. You know, which which producers early on sort of made you gravitate towards making beats? Um, we just I'll do it in any order. Um, Tamir, he was he was he was the guy. Timberland Neptunes, Madlib. Um, I'm missing somebody else. Those probably were, oh, and P Rock. Yep, that was other one. Yep. Those, like, those five, six, you know, those are kind of the cats that I grew up listening to and kind of just took, you take bits and pieces from each one, which you think is something that you want to kind of add to your own thing. Because in the beginning, when you start anything, you're going to sound and design or do anything like somebody else until you really start, you know, spending time with your craft and figuring out how you're going to take this, this something that was really not original idea to begin with. It was just kind of, they just took the ball, they did it, so on and so forth. And that's, that's how it kind of goes around. It's like a full circle, no ideas original. And you just take something and try to figure out a way to make it your own, you know? Mm. So probably those five right there. Right on, right on. Well, we we appreciate you coming on the program of Process and Progression coming out October 22nd, your collaborative effort with Oze Moore. Tall black guy, I would be remiss if we didn't ask you how tall you actually are. Six five. I'm six five. Six, six five. Six five. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There, there it is. So uh, small forward uh, producer, tall black guy. Thank you for coming on the program, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, brothers. Thank you for uh, having us on. And um Keep doing that thing. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. All right, brothers. Peace. All right. That was our conversation with tall black guy. Want to thank him for coming on the program before we transition to that interview. I kind of mentioned he occupies an interesting space uh, among producers. And Nate, what, what would you what would you call that? Like what kind of niche does yeah. a tall black guy fit into a, a, a tall one, obviously, but <laughs> he makes soulful beats. Like his, his beats are always very musical and they read as like very soulful. You can kind of get a sense that there's a lot of listening to like classic soul music and like just good older music that informs his choices. And so um, it's like music to be played at the, what they used to call like grown and sexy parties or like uh now they'll like the if the flyer says uh 21 and wiser 
Like that's they, they might play some tall black guy at the uh, at the function. Um, and I, he's really talented. Like I, I think yeah. he's made a lot of really good music, and um, it was it was cool to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave, would you agree with this statement? Um, definitely, a lot of his music falls into that realm that foreign exchange would be in, where like underground rap and R and B meet. Yeah, I would I would fully agree with that. Just uh, kind of like what Nate was saying, very soulful, very melodic. Um, he's certainly a talented producer. Um, his his production style, though, is I mean, it's quite a, a wide smattering of of different steezes, steez, though. I mean, because he has okay. some stuff that's very like house oriented. Yes. Um, yes. And then, you know, he has some some hardcore rap remixes on coal mine as well a couple 45s came out last year and um they were fantastic so yeah he's one of those cats professional professional producer he's able to do all kinds of different styles i think absolutely and the new album uh which is tall black guy in Jose moore who you just you'll hear from in just a moment is called of process and progression and um definitely uh I'm, i i hesitate to call things concept albums there are some themes that run through this album. Um, definitely gave me uh, feels reminiscent to uh, Sky Zoo's excellent um, album. All, all the, the brilliant, brilliant all the brilliant things. Yes, it has echoes. It has hints of some of the things that made all the brilliant things brilliant. Um, Jose Moore is a rapper who I wasn't familiar with, but definitely holds its own. Um, and this record also has a lot of interesting callbacks to the to the classic era. Um, yeah. of hip hop, uh, classic eras, if you will. Um, so yeah, we, we had the, the privilege of talking to both tall black guy and Jose Moore separately about this album that they did together. Uh, and let's go to our conversation with rapper, a uh, hip hop educator, Jose Moore, dad by rap. Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture. This week, we have joining us in Zoom, Oze, who has a new project coming out with Tall Black Kai called Of Process and Progression, dropping on October 22nd. Oze, what's good, man? Well, peace. What's happening? Good to be here. Yeah, man. Great great to have you on the program. Um, heard the project today. We we got the, the advanced drop. Um, really, really dope. Uh, really cohesive. A lot of callbacks to um, to classic ish '90s '80s hip hop, and I'm I'm wondering um, is is that intentional? Is this a kind of a concept album built on on references to uh, you know golden eras and such? That was one of my my first takeaways. I just wanted to see what you what your process was uh, yeah. coming up with that. Yeah. So. So the homie Terrell and I, we we would, you know, in his other projects, you know, he's working on uh, A Mile Monarch and Let's Take a Trip. I mean, we, in the process of creating these records, the records for those projects, we would just have these conversations about the creative process. We'd have these conversations about, like I told you before, I work with youth. So, you know, uh, I've, I've kind of been um, 
I don't know, I've been challenged in, you know, my perspectives uh, in terms of the culture and music, I, mostly the music. Um, I've been called out as being biased, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, you say this, but you do this and there's really not much different between my music and your music besides the style of beat, you know, so maybe you're just being biased, you know, um, but, you know, in working with young people, kind of figuring out that, like, you know, in supporting them and supporting where, where hip hop is going and where the music is going, um, every generation has had to do that. And, you know, the, the sad part is we haven't done the best job at being able to walk with young folks into the new eras or at least provide that that uh, context that they're building on top of the legacy. legacy right. So. Um, in this project, you know, um, man, it was really just about capturing what feels best about hip hop to me and mm. to you know, um, while celebrating, you know, some of those under, those other narratives are like, you know, what what goes into moving the needle? You know, these processes, we don't just want to throw away, you know, even though you can make a beat in 10 minutes on Ableton or whatnot, still like chopping samples on the MP and, you know, using the SP or whatnot. You know, these processes are part of our culture. They're part of uh, the history and narrative that makes what we do rich. It's the reason why we love it so much, because we dabbled in or spent hours working on our craft that way, you know? So, um, yeah, it was just about, about, you know, celebrating, you know, what the culture has been built on at the same time, leaving room for that conversation about where it's going and also celebrating, you know, uh, the new, you know what I mean? But we kept it pretty cohesive in terms of sound with this project, you know? Mm, thank you for that, man. Um, you know, you mentioned, the youth a little bit and one of the show's taglines is um you know how do you great how do you age gracefully in hip-hop and as we sort of move away from our 20s and 30s um i know that you work with the youth like you mentioned um can you talk a little bit about the um all of the above hip-hop academy that you run yeah yeah so about a decade ago i found myself like um just transitioning out of tour life you know and that schedule and being on the road and making my living off of merch and <laughs> you know the ups and downs of all of that you know um but you know i bypassed college you know what i mean so so essentially what ended up happening was i'm 18 and i'm on the road i'm touring and um by the time you know i settled settled down out here in lansing and and having a family and trying to figure out what's next it's like what do i know i know hip-hop you know i know that i grew up in the pacific northwest y'all had boom bat projects on there a couple of weeks ago you know those are the homies old dominion all those folks all the homies and you know but i came up in a scene where you know it was it was it was hip-hop but you get older and you realize it was so much bigger than hip-hop there were so many transferable skills and so many things you were learning in the process of working on albums, making beats, getting your first show, performing and getting booed, you know, booking your show, you know, and then being on the road. So these skills ended up, you know, as I said, like, you know, identifying them as transferable skills, we developed a program that kind of centered hip hop culture, breaking graffiti art, DJ and MCing, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, all of that. And then figuring out how do we get in front of the youth and work with them and bridge that gap. Like we'll bring our context, you bring yours, we'll meet in the, we'll, you bring yours, we'll meet in the middle. And hopefully we, we add some, some relevance and value to you as you keep us on our toes too, you know what I mean? So it's this, this kind of beautiful exchange between generations where we 
earn their respect by being by by celebrating what they're bringing you know so they're they listen now they're like oh yeah i'll check that out and they come back actually that was dope you know it's a little old but i like it you know so um that's the work we do man i'm the executive director and the founder and that's my primary function right now as an adult doing that you know i make music on the side so yeah dope thank you man that's awesome. Um, I'm very interested in names and personas, and I see that you used to go by Othello, and now you you have a new uh, handle, if you will. I'm I'm curious. Do you think of them as separate characters, separate phases of your life? Like, what's yeah. in a name? Like, why why change your name in the midst of a career? Yeah, for me, it was just the 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 focus change. You know, I was. You know, I was putting out projects and, you know, the saddest thing is when you see an artist like, like Nickel and Diamond, their, their craft, you know, for a couple bucks, you know, and I think at the tail end of Othello, I was doing that hella, like, you know, somebody was like offering some bread for, for a verse, let's do it, let's do it, because it was my own, it was my main thing, you know, and then you get on Twitter and your favorite rappers are doing the same, it's like, no, don't, don't do it. <laughs> You know, not for two hundred dollars, not for one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. You know, uh, full respect to those who hustle and have to do it that way. But I felt like if I was going to continue to make music, and you know, uh, you know, not be, uh, you know, putting my <laughs> putting my family's uh, sustainable sustainable situation on the line, I just need to make a, quick, a clean break. You know, um, my goal was to never allow for hip hop or music to be like a, a negative thing in my house. You know what I'm saying? I got two kids now and they're breakers and writers and they, they love the culture and we celebrate the culture. Um, but it's still not, it's not a bad word. It's not like mm. hip hop and touring and music is just like bring up like uh, bad memories or like this unstable situation to where like I can't even play around with it no more because it's such a, a such a, a touchy subject. You know what I mean? So yeah, man, I had to just change the name, keep a pushing and uh start fresh and there's algorithms too algorithm search <laughs> and all of that you can't you can't compete with shakespeare on the real <laughs> <laughs> you know and you start typing in othello hip-hop and you just get these real bad renditions of the oh, play. oh you know I what see. Mean? I so see. nobody I had see. jose nobody had jose more so i'm the only one you look it up and it's me so there, so, there sounds is. smart thanks man <laughs> um jose we appreciate you coming on we know this was like a micro interview uh we need to have you back at, at some point but just want to let people know that of process and progression your mm -hmm. collaborative work with producer tall black guy is going to be out on october 22nd thank you so much for coming on the program nah i appreciate y'all for having me peace Dad bod rap pod. That was our conversation with Jose Moore, um, who, again, I didn't know about, but I was pleased to meet a super cool cat. Very um, down to earth, humble, informed, definitely part of our demographic. And we want to thank him and both uh, tall black guy for coming on the program. Their album 
of process and progression is out right now. We encourage y'all to peep that. Um, we got a couple things, a couple irons in the fire for you boys. We out here doing things. Uh, again, I want to plug our Patreon. We just launched a Patreon last month. Uh, it's already got some fire content up there. So if you're so inclined, $5 a month, dad bod, rap pod. Nope. It's $5 a month. <laughs> Patreon.com slash dad bod, rap pod. <laughs> you know what? I want to circle back on something that happened earlier in this episode. Nate was doing the, the ad for my bookie, one of our new sponsors. And I have been kind of carrying the, the ad reads thus far. And Nate's voice is just a lot better than mine, um, no. especially when it comes to reading the ads. You're the so, ad read of ad reads. So it <laughs> read of ad reads. That was good. Uh, so I feel a little bit. I don't know if that was a flex. Or I can you, do a fake announcer voice. Yeah, like that's but it's fake. It's a shtick. Your natural speaking voice is the right rhythm and intonation for our deal. Oh, all right. Well, well <laughs> Nate is doing the ad reads going forward. But uh, yeah, we we definitely appreciate everybody who signed up for the Patreon thus far. We got a lot of goodies coming up for y'all. So if you haven't already, please check us out, patreon.com slash pod. But that's not all. We are out here in the universe doing big things. My man's David Ma, um, who is a writer of note. Uh, tell him about your, your, your uh, story that just came out um, that we're mad proud of. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the time, Damone. Um, the the project that I just wrapped up a few months ago just dropped today, at least in my hands anyways. It's um, the 20th anniversary of Wax Poetics. It's, a, it's the cover story on Gangstar. It's on the making of Hard to Earn. And I was just uh, very grateful and very lucky to be able to like talk to Primo like Crazy. for like four hours over the span of like three, three phone calls. And um, this, this will stand as, as the deepest exploration on Hard to Earn ever. So Really happy that that, you know, that that's uh, completed and that, um, you know, it's in people's hands now. Hard to earn, but easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> Take David Ma with you to the bathroom uh, <laughs> with Wax Poetics. Uh, shout out to Wax Poetics. The, the relaunch is out. Uh, hard to earn. Obviously, one of the most amazing albums ever. And uh, Dave, I continue to envy um, both your writing ability and the fact that you can say things like talk to Primo for four hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. Uh, amazing. Um, and Nate, Mr. Nate LeBlanc, what do you what do you have going I've got on? A few uh, a few irons in the fire as well. I have been writing a lot lately, and that's awesome. Um, that I'm writing for this music recommendation website called The Shuffle um shfl.com um and it's the whole like kind of gist of the project is the guy who founded it wants music recommendations to be led by people not by the algorithm mm. so i'm one of the people so um i'll, I'll i want to get some some more of these reviews up but basically i'm writing capsule reviews which really reminds me of when i worked in the record store mm -hmm. and we would get an album or a cd and i was excited about it and i would grab a little flyer out of the scrap mute like scrap paper drawer and write up a quick thing and then put my name on it and tape it underneath the thing love those love like those. uh yeah it was a big part of my life and i have hand sold a shitload of records that way um 
And so it's just kind of a return to that. It's uh, I'm recommending hip hop that I like. It's all based on things that are in my physical collection. So okay. um, I think you guys can kind of see behind me. I have little sections pulled out. Like I'm just going, I'm like, I'd love to write about this. I have, I have something to say about this. So I'm just like, I'm focusing on full length records, a, a couple EPs. Like when I went and went to wrote about, went to write about Black Alicious, I was like, but the things I really feel strongly about are their EPs. Mm. So let's make this little, you know, it's definitely not an essay. It's not a write-up either. You guys know I hate that term. This little <laughs> capsule review okay. about their EPs. It's like they, A to G and Melodica are both like kind of the best. Most Amazing. Filled expressions mm-hmm. of what they're really good at. So anyway, um, shfl.com, a bunch of other writers are on there as well. It uh, pulls from a couple of different sources worth checking out if you, um, you know, want to find out what what I like, what other music writers like. And there are also kind of explainer articles on subgenres. Oliver Wong has a great one on Boogaloo. Okay. Um, um, I'm working on when I finish the review section, I'm going to work on one of those as well. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting thing. It's, um, it's, it's good. It's, it's been a cool connection and it's something that's causing me to think a little differently about the music that I like. And it's also funny because so many of these records didn't just come out. Like I could be talking about a slick Rick record from 86 or something that came out yesterday. It's that's completely dope. up to me. So I have to like decide, you know what I mean? That's dope. That's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great to, to, you know, the ambitions of a writer. Uh, <laughs> great to see that coming to fruition. What about you, buddy? Uh, what I'm doing right now, besides um, losing my fucking mind at work is uh, putting together an event. Uh, in collaboration with Needle to the Groove Records, for those of you who are in the Bay Area, the East Side Record Swap is going down Saturday, December 4th uh, at the School of Arts and Culture at Mexican Heritage Plaza. Um, just check our timeline for more information, but we are going to have uh, an amazing record swap. Needle to the Groove will be bringing out vinyl as well as uh, a lot of other local vendors. And then we are going to have a very special guest DJ who's going to spin. And we're also going to interview said special guest DJ who I'm not going to announce right now, but is special and a guest. Uh, and, a we will, and a DJ. <laughs> uh, and a producer. So we'll be doing a live dad bod rap pod interview with said person who I will not announce right now. Um, this is a free event. You're welcome. Uh, and we want everybody who is within a 50 mile radius to come out. So that's Saturday, December 4th, East side record swap in the heart of East San Jose. Come for the vinyl, stay for the chat. It's the dead bod rap pod in real life. It's our first time interviewing someone in person in front of an audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've interviewed some people in real life together, uh, but it's not been like part of the show. So that's mm. going to be an interesting one. I'm going to be doing full shtick, just like yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> really leaning on the jokes. A no, lot no. of like, you get it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have an applause sign. I'll be holding up a laughter. Um, no, props. it's it's going to be dope. So we got the props. Um, everybody. <laughs> Carrot top. <laughs> Rap game Carrot Top will be in full effect for the East Side Record Swap. Um, so, you know, we, we're moving in, in various directions and circles, but it all comes back to the rapidy rap. Uh, we are speeding towards episode 200, which also has a very special guest. Um, so we want you guys to, uh, you know, it's worth the anticipation. Trust. This is not mm. one of those uh, fake 
Al Capone's vault surprises. This is, <laughs> this is real shit. We're going to do a, a spectacular for episode 200. We have a really special guest. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a good run. It seems like we're picking up momentum. Uh, and so that's, that's really fun. We appreciate everybody who's been a listener, who's tapped in, who has subscribed to our Patreon, who interacts with us on Twitter uh, at dad bod rap pod who checks us out on Instagram at dad bod rap pod. We do episodes every Thursday, or at least we release them um, every Thursday because we are dim boys, the dad bod rap pod. Speak love when you speak, speak